Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Tonight's show is based on a suggestion topic from our old friend, Andre Baca, who's been on the show a few times already. Last week, the New York Times ran an investigative piece about a scam in New York City to sell overvalued taxi medallions to taxi drivers, most of whom are working people and immigrants taking a tough job to support their families. The medallions were offered as a path to ownership uh, and wealth, the American dream, as it's often called. And we're learning now that the loans for these medallions were predatory. The value of the medallions was grossly overinflated, and it has resulted in bankruptcy and ruin for many cabbies who thought they were doing the best thing for themselves and for their families. We'll learn more about the controversy. Uh, that's why our guests are here today, is kind of talk us through it. Um, they're both taxi drivers in San Francisco. Um, but the controversy itself is being called a Ponzi scheme. It's being compared, it's like not just predatory lending. It's like a legit scam top to bottom. The government is involved and all these regulatory commissions are involved and finance people. It's like really, really dark, dark stuff, like the underbelly of capitalism. Um, there's a new story like this every six months, I feel, <laughs> about the underbelly of capitalism. This, this just happens to be the most recent one. Um, so let me just clip my intro there uh, because our guests are going to be able to tell you better than I can uh, about all the moving pieces here uh, and introduce our guests. Uh, obviously, you guys, if you listen to the show, you know Andre Baca. He's been on the show before. He and I have known each other for close to 20 years. He's a poet, a writer, a filmmaker, and a, a bunch of other things. There's not anything he doesn't do, a musician. Um, but, you know, he makes his money as a taxi driver in San Francisco. And it was Andre's suggestion to have this conversation today. So we're happy to have him. Our other guest is Dana Williams. She's brand new to the show. She's also a taxi driver from San Francisco. Uh, she's someone that Andre brought in to kind of fill out some of the details about taxi driver life. We're very excited to have her here. So first, let me just say thanks to both of you guys for being here. I appreciate it. This is an important topic, and we want to go right to the source. Uh, so thanks to both of you guys for being here. Yeah, no problem, man. Word. Welcome Glad back. Glad to be here. Yeah. Usually, Dana, you're off the hook because usually on this show, we have a new tradition that I invented. That's not really a tradition if it's new and if I invented it, but I'm just going to say it's a new tradition I invented where if it's your first time on the show, you got to go first. But this time you're off the hook um, Perfect. Because, because I need Andre to give us the overview of this issue, which he volunteered to do. Um, but don't worry, Dana, we're coming for you. We're coming for you. So, oh, good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of menacing, but I actually mean it like in a cool way. So, you know, uh, if that's a helpful clarification, <laughs> not like coming for you like a horror movie, you know what I mean? More just like, I have I questions for that. you, Dana, and we'll incorporate you into the conversation moments from now. That's a better way to say it. Um, so, Dre, I read the New York Times article uh, when it came out. I think it was uh, Sunday paper last week. So I guess, you know, a little bit by the time the show airs, it'll be a little bit over a week. Um, but you're very well written, very well researched and pretty heartbreaking. You know, this is not like a lot of, as I say, these stories about predatory lending and, um, you know, uh, capitalist sharks. There are a lot of huge, there's a lot of human collateral damage here. People who are bankrupted um, and lost their livelihoods as a result of the scam. So my very loose understanding of it is that, you know, between regulatory agencies in New York City, uh, between City Hall um and finance people who, who work in finance to arrange these loans uh people who were driving cabs were offered an opportunity to buy a medallion it was presented as like this is your key you know to the mainstream man like you're going to be a medallion owner this is how you make take it to the next level uh it actually has a lot of echoes of the subprime mortgage crisis in my mind where a lot of you know poor people immigrants um were you know given predatory loans to own a home under the same disguise, which is like, Hey, you want to, you, you want to live the dream. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's your opportunity hard to turn down for a person who's hardworking and aspirational. Um, but yeah. you know, if, if you don't read the fine print, uh, you're going to be the one who's on the hook for it. And then the banks will eventually get bailed out, you know? Uh, so it, it's, yeah. you know, I'm not an economist. Uh, you know, my understanding of finance is limited. My, even my understanding of the, the system of medallions is limited. So 
that's my brief understanding of it. Can you dig a little deeper and just talk about, I know you're in San Francisco, that's an important note. And, and this story was about New York City cab drivers, but can you just fill us in a little bit more and, and talk about what this controversy is and how you understand it? Yeah, most definitely. Um, so I'm also not an economist, but um, I will sum it up and, you know, try to not go too, you know, dive too into the details of the, bo the boring aspects of the math and stuff like that. But yeah. to make a long story short, you know, San Francisco learns a lot of what it does from New York on the smaller scale because of our population difference. You guys have just on the Manhattan alone, you guys have roughly 5 million we're not even pushing a million where we are pushing a million, but we're not even there. So yeah. you have the dangers of New York are so unique to Manhattan. And um, basically, you know, when you have a city full of um, Wall Street brokers, they're always looking for another little loophole, another scam, another little edge to make some money, um, whether it's during working hours or off. Um, and so they definitely found their way and and as, as as a taxi driver for ten years, uh, not so much anymore. But um, the one thing that was interesting for even I'm sure for Dana as well, and for other taxi drivers, there's a lot of new information that was gathered, and that was probably the big revelation. Is when I heard Michael Cohen's name was involved in this. That's what caught my attention, because I was like, wait, what does the dude that has to do with Trump have to do with taxis? And I was like, that's kind of more interesting now, because yeah. who cares about Trump aspect, we know plenty about that. But I was like, okay, he had found a loophole with his um, his uh, partner, and he told him basically these are like like you just uh, uh, summed it up before. These are like subprime mortgages rolling around the city all over the twenty four seven. Mm -hmm. and you have a million dollars here, a million. So he would basically walk outside, and he would point to the cars and basically say, "Yeah, you see all these cars here? These are just count up one million, two million, three million. And when he said that, I was like, damn, like, that's the kind of racket that they're pulling in New York. Cause that the is that the value? I, I, I don't remember from the article, but is that the average value of a taxi medallion in New York City is a million dollars? Well, no, that actually, no. That, so that was the high. The high yeah. of a few years ago, they did sell one finally. And it just it, that's when everybody knew the, the bubble was bursting. Like, this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, they averaged around 800000 um a few years back and that's and that's you can't i mean just just so i can clarify it and also for our listeners you know you can't drive a new york city taxi without a medallion on it right a medallion is not Correct. an option you know what i mean like in order for you to be licensed and to be a cab that people can hail on the street you got to have a hunk of metal bolted to your hood dre you did a really good job summarizing what is a really complicated issue um, and I'm glad that you did it and I didn't because I, I think you did a better job than I would have. Um, but you started to say um, that, you know, San Francisco built its model on New York. You know, this this article is about New York. Um, how how are the issues presented in that article relevant to taxi drivers and medallions in San Francisco? Because you've already told us how it went down in New York. Like what's what's happening in San Francisco? So it basically replicated the exact same problem. Um, but the, the one thing that, that because we have the uh, pause on action after, because we were kind of watching what New York does, it helps because they, they kept trying to implement their own system here. And by the time that they did actually do it, they, um, they put a cap on the number of, of the price. So it's, a, it's roughly $200,000. And that's that's how you should do it. That keeps out the speculators. It keeps out all the people that have no business and also who have never uh, dr driven a taxi before. It keeps them from trying to screw the system over because the system is kind of like the, the postal service where it's just supposed to work. It's not supposed to make a profit. It's just supposed to be there for the people that want to service the city and have a good job, um, what used to be a good job. And so... Unfortunately, the city, the, the one difference is that, of course, um, the elephants in the room is uh, Uber starts in 2010. And unfortunately, San Francisco doesn't have the ability to, to ban Uber entirely. Um, and the decision comes from Sacramento, which is really weird because 
uh, New York, obviously, the delivery corporation has um, a commission, has the control of the streets, and we should also have the same rights here. But the problem is they, because they're a technology company, they were able to slip through this loophole and they were not, uh, the city hall was not able to say, okay, we can't run our own streets. So these guys, we can't stop them. Yeah. And so, well, that you yeah. bring up an interesting point. I mean, we've had this conversation on the show before, you know, I used to write uh, a blog about the American economy and, you know, tech and kind of, how people are getting, how industries are changing and how like tech has become this like hyper capitalist kind of monster displacing people. So I wrote a lot of articles while Uber, because that was during the time that Uber was getting big about cabbies and how their livelihoods were threatened by Uber, because this is a very important point to make, you know, Uber and Lyft cars, they don't need medallions, you know, they're able to do the same work that, that cabbies do in the cities where they function, but they don't have to pay $200,000 or half a million dollars or a million dollars at peak value, um, which, you know, really gives them an edge. If you're trying to start your own, you know, if you want to become a driver, uh, you don't, you have a much smaller overhead. Um, And I've always thought, I was like, well, that's unfair in terms of regulation, right? If you're going to make one group of people who do the same job pay $200,000, for their ability to do the job and another group of people who are doing essentially the same thing. You don't make them pay. Um, there's already a discrepancy there. Um, so are you saying, I mean, I, I guess I'll just like jump right to the chase here. Is this not an issue in San Francisco, this overvaluing of medallions and people losing uh, their, their money because of it or. No, or- so they are, they absolutely are losing. Um, but it's because more of the Uber factor that they weren't protected. Um, and these guys took out the loans for $200,000. And they, pretty much immediately after they bought them, they all we all saw Uber show up. And that was the weird part because it's kind of one of those moments where we remember them showing up and like, uh-oh, this is going to be, we could tell this is going to be popular because when they, people for, probably forget when they first arrived on the scene, it was, um, and Dana probably remembers this, is the the black, they were all black, escalades yeah and we were like you can't compete with the black escalade that's a cool factor that my (laughs) yellow my yellow and red car cannot compete with you know it looks like a looks like a hot dog stand compared to you know this dope limo and and so because of that the the value was dropping out and pretty much by the month every month you're just like how are you going to compete with something like that like you summed up which has no regulations mm-hmm. has, they don't have to pay the commercial insurance they just they just don't have to do all the same um, jump through the same hoops yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm interested in a number of different aspects but when i saw this headline uh the reason i read it i mean i don't read everything in the new york times you know it's like i i, I do what i can but it's, it's a long newspaper man i got a lot of tv to watch you know <laughs> so uh, but the reason I was like, it's worth it for me to read this what was probably a 5,000 word expose. I do want to tell this story because it's relevant. It's long. And I know I, I talk a lot on this podcast, but I, you know, what else are we doing? You know what I mean? We're here to talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the story is very relevant. The most memorable uh, cab ride I've ever had in my life was in San Francisco. It was a veteran's cab. I remember it because, you know, it had like the, the cream colored door and the red car. And I've been I've been riding in those my whole life. And the driver, a very cool guy, very gregarious. As soon as I got in, he's like, let me tell you a story. And he unfolded this incredible saga about how, you know, he's from North Africa, I think Tunisia. A lot of the cab drivers in Samsung, I think, are Tunisian. Is that right, guys? Uh, I remember that from when I was when I was riding in cars. I don't know if that's still the case, but I cover this guy, all of Africa. This guy, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. They come from all over. But this, he was from North Africa, and I think it was Tunisia. And he said, "I grew up in a tiny village. Like we weren't even close to the city uh, in Tunisia. You know, we never saw any visitors. There were only uh, you know fifty of us living in this village." He said, "And one day, these American." Um, NGO people came through their village. They were like going to like a very, very remote area of Tunisia and they spent the night there. And then the next day they left and one of the women forgot her bag, right? And they they went to the bag and they opened it because they wanted to see if she had like her ID in there so they could give her her bag back. It was full of cash because the, the, the Tunisian economy at the time, like, and this is true for a lot of developing countries, 
the development work that they were doing, they had to pay for everything in cash. So they had brought the equivalent of tens of thousands of dollars in cash. And that's the bag that this woman forgot. Right. So, so they were like, how are we going to find this woman? I mean, this guy like describes his village as like the most honest moral people in the world because they all motivated, like, we're going to find this woman and give her her money back. Right. And they nominated this kid who at the time was 10 years old. And I was like, why did you get nominated? He was like, oh, you know, it's, it's, a long, it's a long journey. And, you know, people thought I was trustworthy. I was like, I was a 10-year-old kid. What was I going to do with the money? So their, their solution was to go to Tunis, the, the main city in Tunisia. They said, if any Americans passed through there, they passed through Tunis. And he went to all the different American hotels and described the woman and said, was this woman here? Was this woman here? Finally, they found the hotel. He said, oh, yeah, some Americans came through here from the NGO recently. Um, do you have something for them? He said, I can't give it to you. I have to give it to her. And he waited in the lobby of this hotel for like six days for this woman to come back from her journey. And she like walked in the door and he walked up to her and said, here, you forgot your bag. And then was just going to leave. Right. And he's just going to walk out the door. And the woman said, oh, my God, no, like, thank you so much. She was so grateful that she contacted the village. You know, she like donated the money to them. Um, and then she, you know, gave him an opportunity to do any of your members. We can be a host family. If any of, and if any of your family wants to come to the United States, you can come. And his family decided that he should go. So she, this woman adopted him and he moved to the Bay Area. I forget where in the Bay Area with her. He was like, this woman is like my mother. She's a saint. She raised me. And then he started telling me, he said, oh, and I was trying to find a job. So I got a job as a taxi driver. It pays very well. Um, and my whole life, I, I said, I wanted to have a taxi medallion. It was the only thing I wanted. I knew that if I owned a taxi medallion, I could own my own business. So he was saving money. And the day that I got into his cab was the day that he had paid off the taxi medallion. Oh, shit. Wow. And he was, he was beaming. He was like, and now, you know, because of the equity that I have from this medallion, right? If you own something that's worth $200,000, obviously banks are going to give you loans. This was right at the same time that you guys remember when Stockton, the whole city of Stockton went bankrupt, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was like, he's like, the city of Stockton went bankrupt. They're offering, they're saying you can buy a house for $5,000. He said, I took the equity from this and I bought 10 houses in Stockton, right? Wow. <laughs> right? He's like, he's like, I already have tenants. There are already people living in these houses. They're, they're almost oh. already paid off by the rent. Like, and and, and his, he was such a good storyteller, man. This guy was like, he needs to do a one man show. I, I've been trying to figure out how I can find him so that I can hear his story. I tell this story to people all the time. It's one of my favorite bar stories stories you know like oh my favorite cab ride you know and so as soon as I saw this headline I was like oh my god what about that guy with this incredible story I mean I'm sure he owns property and he's a very smart businessman and I saw him years ago so I'm sure he's diversified his assets so he's not maybe not fully devastated by it but I just remember thinking wow what a wonderful accomplishment for any any immigrant even if your story is not that you know not that stunning Um, any person who comes to this country and saves their money and, and gets that medallion to have that drop out from underneath you, I, I just really felt the pain of it even more because of the memory um, of this driver. So, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you whether, you know, it was an issue in San Francisco, but it's interesting that the issue is not necessarily predatory lending. It's Uber and Lyft and ride hailing apps, um, which, you know, if anything, you know, what do we do at Quest on Media? We try to find the blind spots in mainstream media. You know, if anything, where where is that? Everybody's talking about how Uber has affected taxis, but I feel like this connection has not been fully made. So maybe we'll assign you, Andre, to write about it. <laughs> maybe I'll have to do it myself, but we really want to cover it. Um, Dana, I want to come to you because I've been chatterboxing so long. That's one reason I want to come to you. But also um, just uh, to hear about your experiences as a driver in San Francisco, the stuff that Dre is talking about, like, you know, being able to make money as a driver and, and having that livelihood be threatened by ride sharing apps. Is is that something that you've experienced? How long have you been driving and, and did you experience the whole Uber era? Give me a little bit of overview. Okay. I've been driving about four years. And so Uber was already on the scene um, when I came along. I got into cab driving because um, my godfather owns a medallion and I was doing his books and I just saw that I was making the least money out of the whole gang and the most money was being made by cab drivers. So um, I finally convinced him to let me drive the cab. And uh, when I first started out, sure, Uber was annoying. And, you know, of course, my godfather would complain about about them a lot more than I would. And, and it didn't seem like that big of a deal. But as the years progressed, um, you know, a cab could pull up to a hotel and take somebody to the airport within about 15 minutes. 
And now it's just a bunch of cab drivers sitting in a line crying while 20, 30 families take off in Ubers to the airport. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. And, um, you know, some medallion holders that I know are just now, um, paying interest only. And they're just, they've submitted to never paying off their medallion loans because they can't afford it. So, so there was, it sounds like there was some kind of predatory lending, right? People got approved for loans that they couldn't pay off. Is that fair to say? Well, even if they could pay them off at the time that they bought them, they can't pay them off now. Because of because of the change in the market. Right. Right. So have you seen a lot of people jump ship or some people like, hey, it's not worth it to deal with all this medallion business and I'm going to be an Uber driver? You know, I've seen one person literally jump ship. <laughs> I'm sure other people have and they just aren't willing to face me or other taxi yeah. friends. Yeah. Um, there's it's it's really taking on the color of an enemy when somebody does that. It's it's actually unforgivable. Wow. When that happens. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, it's, it's bad. Like crossing it's like crossing a picket line, right? Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. crossing a picket line and yeah, it's like I'm actually stealing your money and you're not going to have money to pay your bills or take care of your family because of me. That's that's how intense it is. It's pretty bad. So are people talking about, I mean, is there some kind of union? Is there collective bargaining for taxi drivers who are going to city hall and saying you need to limit the amount of Ubers? What's what's the political activity, Dana, as you understand it, for trying to fix this problem among among cab drivers? There is an organization. I don't actually know what it's called. Do you know, Andre? Well, the un- there is a union, but I, I just don't like to give them plug because they, they got so, they, they were supporting the uh, the strike recently for the Uber and Lyft, and I was not a fan of them doing that because of what you just said, Russell. Is that is basically saying you're part of the scab movement, and when you're a union, when you're a union, you can never go with the scab movement. And that was the first time I've ever seen a union endorse that kind of measure. So well, I, they, I, they I, may I, have thought. I mean, this is speculative. I know a little bit about the Uber strike just because we had uh, a podcast about it a few weeks ago but that was one of their objectives is they thought that ultimately they would be able to unionize as well in which case uber drivers would be you know maybe this is again speculative maybe the motivation for the taxi drivers union in san francisco was we could grow our union if we if this if this strike is successful and incorporate uber drivers but again imagine the cultural conflict it creates as Dana described where it's like really like a line in the sand. And now all of a sudden you're in the same union. Exactly. Well, the other, the other <laughs> problem with that, yeah. The other problem with that too, is a lot of us knew these guys that were, there were, because basically when Uber came along, it was a, basically you were, you were taking the gamble. Oh, I'm going to, because back in the day, there's no doubt all of us, me, Dana probably had the chance to think about it to like uh, buy a car and make a boatload of money for a short period of time if you if you knew what you're doing. But I ultimately decided I wasn't going to do it. But a lot of guys did, and I was like, "More power to you." It's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna step on your toes to to do what you want. Go follow your American dream. But the problem with that is they all got in and they've been doing Uber. They were making plenty of money, and now they start to operate like they're cab drivers again. And they're like, "Oh, we want your support." Like, no, you don't get to play both sides of the coin, homie. Like right. you, you bounced, you made money while the rest of us didn't. And now you want support and you want to act like you're a, a group of unified people. It's like, no, man, I, I supported you to, to go make your money. You're made, you made the money. You should have, you should have sold your car. You should have made some changes, but I'm not, I'm not your friend. I'm not your, I'm not your homie supporting you. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. We chose, some of us chose to stick with the, you know, the traditional cab for a reason. So. Well, let me exactly. Get, yeah. I I want to get some additional clarification just because, um, as I understand it, you know, most cab drivers don't own the medallions, right? You're, you would be leasing from someone else. Is that, can, can one of you guys kind of fill me in on that? Maybe Dana, since you were doing the books, you probably know how this works. <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah. how, how does that work? Who, who's leasing from who? And is that a good deal? And, and how many actual cabbies own a medallion? I mean, you know, I'm not sure about the ratio of how many own a medallion versus how many are just, you know, drivers leasing. Um, typically, one cab runs 24-7. So there are two or three shifts a day, usually two. So that could be, 
like in my cab, there's an owner and then we have four other drivers. So let's say the ratio is one and one to four, something like that. Right. Um, yeah. I really want to talk more about this line in the sand. <laughs> yeah. Hit me. Let's, let's go. Let's get there's into There's something it. I want to say about this. Okay. So in terms of um, reforming Uber and them unionizing and trying to create workers' rights and all of this, they're really trying to reinvent the wheel. The thing is, taxis have been around for so long that, like, you could say we started out like Uber drivers, you know, people trying to hitchhike and then pay for it. Um, since we've evolved, now we have rules and regulations and systems. What's now happening is Uber's trying to evolve, but what they will evolve into is what taxis are now. So it's really so stupid to go through all of that effort to reform the Uber business when really all that needs to occur is for them to realize that taxi laws are logical and what need to be applied and the Uber can just become taxi drivers. Right. Well, allow yeah. me allow me with, with two cab drivers in the booth right now to play devil's advocate um, because my understanding, at least in New York, and I don't know if this is true in San Francisco, is that a lot of taxi drivers kind of faulted um, the New York City taxi, the, the TLC that you mentioned, for not developing an app that could compete with Uber, right? If the way that people were getting rides changed, uh, the criticism I heard, and this is anecdotal, so I don't know if this applies to you guys, and I, I can't say that it applies to all New York City cabbies by any means, but a lot of people felt like the industry's changing. We need to adapt to that. Why aren't they inve investing money and resources into making an app that's GPS enabled that has, you know, the same, because, because there are, like, Uber's easy. You know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll just, you know, full transparency. I, I take Uber. I live in New York city and I still take Ubers all the time. And I'm conflicted because I know a lot of people like you two who are cab drivers. And I know that it's an issue. And, and also particularly in New York city where it's really a part of the culture to be a cab driver. I feel bad about it, but it is actually convenient. Uh, have you guys often, you know, there's some neighborhoods where cab, you just can't hail a cab in the street. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that. That's what, when I lived in Harlem, that was certainly the case. I couldn't walk out my door and um, just get a cab on the street. Did you guys experience any of that? Was Has that ever been part of the conversation? Where it's like, guys, make an app that can compete. Is that is that part of what you're talking about ever? Of course, that comes up daily. You know, whenever somebody gets into my cab and they say, oh, I normally take Uber because it's so convenient. I mean, and the thing is, like, now we do have an app. We have Flywheel, which is an app, and it works just as fine as Uber. Um, but what should have happened is when, let's say, Uber was developed, because it was basically um, an illegal cab service, it should have just been brought under the law. I'm like, hey, you actually can't do that. But, you know, what you can do is make a, an app for actual taxis. <laughs> you know, that would be definitely one solution. Yeah, there are other apps. Like, I know that there's Halo, um, Arrow is here, and Flywheel is the main app that we have. Definitely understand. I mean, I use Flywheel several times a week if I go somewhere and I don't feel like waiting out in the cold until I flag a taxi. Like, I use, I use the Flywheel app to, to call one. How long have you been, were you doing your... Was it your uncle, right? Is that who you were doing the books for? Your uncle? Godfather. Oh, sorry, Godfather. Um, yeah. Were you doing the books for your uncle long enough to see like the pre-Uber value of the medallion and the post-Uber value? Like, did it go down? Do you, do you know anything about if that's what happened, that the, the value of the medallion went down when there was more competition from uh, ride-sharing apps or hailing apps? That's a great question. It wasn't a matter of the value going down, but the ability to sell. And um, there was another guy I was doing books for. So I did books for my godfather who still owns his medallion and still drives his cab, even though he's in his mid-70s. Um, but this other guy who had a medallion that I also did books for, he sold right in time. Now that guy, he was able to sell for, I think, 125000 And after all the taxes and fees he paid to the city, um, who he had bought the medallion from, he only left with like maybe 80 grand. But yeah. now my godfather, who's in his mid seventies, who should have been able to sell his medallion and retire now cannot sell the medallion. He just can't, no one wants to buy it. So he's just this 
old fat man driving around in a cab when really he should just be relaxing. Well, that's part of the motivation. That's what they told cab drivers. It was like, hey, you can get to the point where yep. your, medallion, your medallion works for you. You don't have, you don't have to right. be out there driving. You can just lease it and you're just like, you're a business owner and you have employees. Um, exactly. Dre, well, I, have, I, have a, I have a question for you, Russ, because yeah, uh, when you talked, I, the one thing I thought, I thought like there were certain cities that were ripe for Uber and Lyft to take over. And I thought for sure, Manhattan was not going to be one of them because yeah. you talked about the, you talked about the convenience of it, but like when you live in Manhattan, you walk at your door and there's a sea of yellow. What is easier than putting your hand up in the air and jump <laughs> in a car and so I'm shocked to hear that you're, you're like, oh, it's convenient to get on an app and have, have some food that doesn't have, know that I have answers. I have answers. You might not like them, but they'll be <laughs> honest answers. Okay. So one, one is what I mentioned earlier about accessibility, depending on where you live in New York, right? Uh, if you're, even if you're in Manhattan, if you're north of Central Park, let's say you're north of 110th Street, cabs just don't go up there, you know? Um, you don't get a lot of people who are necessarily getting off of work and going up. So you can't catch a ride on someone going back downtown, you know, the way that you might like in avenues in San Francisco or something like, Oh, look, somebody wrote, drove somebody out to 47th and Wawona, you know, let me, uh, (laughs) let me hit the ride back on into the, to the city with him, you know, Um, (laughs) you don't get that. But what you had uptown was like this sub industry of what we called hacks. Now I know hack means something different for you guys. That's just a cabbie, but there were actual hacks here. There were just guys uptown, uh, you know, same kind of guys who were driving cabs, mostly Dominican. And they were companies, they were, they were called town car companies. It was like, you know, they all had like really nice Lincoln town cars that they took good care of. And it was, they, they were licensed to get called, right? There were specific laws. Like you couldn't get, you couldn't flag one of those guys in the street, but you could call a phone number and the dispatcher would send them out. They had radios. It was, it was old fashioned, you know, but they also, there's a specific system. If you put your hand straight up in the air on the street, you're hailing a cab, right? If you put your arm out, like straight out, like at a 90 degree angle or lower, that's like hailing a hack, right? Because technically, if you have, <laughs> yeah, legit. You mind cough somebody and you can get a, a, a Dominican guy, which is the irony of that. Yeah, it's not it's not a Heil Hitler thing. It's like it's more like just straight out from the side of your body, kind of just hanging out by the side. And the reason people would do that is because you know the 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 hacks wouldn't pick you up if you had your hand straight up because that's a hail symbol. So if a cop saw somebody pick somebody up who was making a hail symbol, they would say, "Hey, we saw them hail you, and you stopped. You're not licensed to do that." But if someone's arm is just kind of like hanging out on the side, it's like a legal loophole where they'll pull over and if a cop sees them, they'll say, Oh no, they they weren't hailing, you know, they were just stretching their arm and, you know, they called me, you know what I'm saying? So we had that system. We already had that system set up and that was the borough solution. That was uptown solution and the borough solution, you know, Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, uh, presumably Staten Island. Um, But when, you know, the city was smart enough to know like, Hey, we're not getting money out of that. Right. Like (laughs) we're not getting paid the way we should be. So they, agreed to release a bunch of new licenses for what they call green cabs or borough cabs. And they weren't yellow. They were painted a really ugly green and they were only allowed to pick up rides in designated areas, North of 110th street, certain areas of Brooklyn and the Bronx, whatever. And those guys that had those really nice town cars, the black shiny town cars, they had to paint them all green if they wanted to get, Mm. if they wanted to pick up rides, you know? So I felt felt bad at that because, you know, if you're a guy who drives a town car, you know, you could use that for work. And then, you know, you could pick somebody up for a date that night in your town car, you know, not if it's green, if it's painted green, you don't want to pick anybody up on a date in a green car like that. (laughs) So that that was one issue, right? Like if I could just walk out my door and grab a cab, I, I would, but I lived on 150th street and that wasn't a reality. Now here's the other, here's the real thing, the catch. Um, in, in New York city. And I don't know if this is true in in San Francisco, it actually is significantly cheaper to take an Uber most of the time over a cab. Um, so let's say like, usually when I take an Uber or a cab, it's cause I'm late to work, right? I'm running out the door. I got, you know, I gotta be at work at nine 30, whatever. And it's like nine 15. I'm like, Oh damn, I can't take the subway. It'll take too long. Right. If I take that ride to work, I live pretty close to work. If I take a cab, 
uh, it'd be about $15, $17, right? About and without tip. And I tip, you know, so it's going to end up being closer to $20. If I took a, 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 what they used to call a hack, or they used to say gypsy cab, but that's, I, I think that's kind of offensive for a lot of different reasons. So I, you know, I didn't use that phrase and people stopped using that phrase. Those guys, you negotiate, you hop in and you say, oh, I'm going to uh, Lennox, 125th and Lennox. And they'll be like, what do you usually pay to go there? And then, you know, you kind of, you'd be like, ah, you know, if I take a cab, it'll be 15, you know, uh, will, will you do it for 10? You're like, nah, I'll do it for 12, you know? And he, he includes his tip mm-hmm. in that negotiation. And that was a cool thing that we did. But now if I take an Uber, the same distance at the same time of day, it's like $8 and that's less than half of what I was paying for a taxi. So, you know, that's a real thing. You know, New York city is, is high. It's hyper capitalism, man. And everybody's trying to like make a buck, save a buck, undercut somebody else. And I think even though it's a place where you can hail a cab on a corner, everybody's hustling. So if there's a way to shave some expenses, people are going to do it. And it is honestly, it is honest. It's cheaper. Is that the case in San Francisco? Is it cheaper for a ride uh, in an Uber than a cab? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah 90% of the time. Yeah. yeah. It's just a matter of what you're paying for in an Uber. Well, let's say in a taxi, you're paying for someone who's been to taxi school, knows the geography of the city, pays taxes to the city and county of San Francisco, has commercial insurance. I think it's a million dollars a taxi or a million dollars per person. Wow. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, we're a background checked and everything. So it's, it's what you're paying for and you're paying for a human being. Like there's something special yeah. about a taxi driver too, you know? Well, I agree. I mean, you mentioned this skill set. You know, I've heard about this in London. You know, if you want to be a taxi driver in London, you got to study this book. You got to pass a test about all the maps. London's a very confusing city. You know, it's not a grid system Mm -hmm. like New York where you can learn it. So you have to study every nook and cranny and they'll quiz you about what neighborhood this little tiny alleyway nobody heard of is in and what's the best way to get from here to here. I always thought that was very cool. And in New York, those guys in the old days when I was taking cabs before Uber, those guys knew the routes, you know, like I would say I'd be going from the Lower East Side to Harlem and they'd be like, nah, man, you don't want to take the FDR right now. You want to take Sixth Avenue to the park. And then if you cut over the park, you know, to the West Side, then you can shoot up, you know, Riverside and the lights are timed. Like people would know stuff like that. Now, even cabbies don't know that, you know, everybody's yeah. everybody's using a GPS. If it's not Waze, it's, you know, whatever, Google Maps or something else to get places. So that skill set that used to exist and was really valuable. And I thought it was a very cool thing. Doesn't exist either for Uber drivers or even unfortunately now for cabbies, you know, I get in and tell somebody a very simple address and they'll be like, where's that, <laughs> you know, or mm-hmm. they say, can you spell it for me? So I can type it into my phone, <laughs> you know? Oh, and no. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I agree with you guys. What are you paying for? I mean, you don't know that you need all that stuff until you need it. Right. Like if you get into an accident. Right. What if you get injured? You're in an Uber, you get into a crash and, you know, it's the Uber driver's fault and, you, you know, break your collarbone, whatever. You got to go to the hospital, you got to go to the emergency room, you break your arm. You know, that's a ten thousand dollar visit, twenty thousand dollar visit. If you're in a taxi, as you said, they have insurance uh, that, you know, your medical bills will be covered. Uh, if you're in an Uber, that's just a person who has regular car insurance and Uber's not liable because that's how they're saving money is by passing those costs along and they're not required to have insurance. So those are the kind of things that, you know, I haven't heard that many anecdotal examples, but, you know, there's a reason that we have regulation, right? Like I'm not, I don't love the government, you know what I mean? But sometimes that kind of regulation uh, is needed in order to ensure safety, um, and kind of consistency across an industry like that. So that, that is my very long winded answer to you. Basically it's a justification for me taking Ubers, but you know, my, my allegiance, my instinct is, you know, to stand with you guys, but here I am trying to play both sides, just like your friends who left Uber and then wanted to come back and be in the union. So I have, I have no excuses. All I, I'm a man, I'm fallible. I make my decisions and I, 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 put, I put myself at your mercy. <laughs> That's the best I can do. Well, I mean, to, to go piggyback on that, like Dana was saying, is she, you're saying, what do you, you ask yourself, what are you paying for? And it's become, in the past year, I've noticed, um, well, especially alongside of the Me Too movement, I've started to see uh, a, a couple, probably about a month ago, this woman 
her uh, post went viral for taking a lift and she contacted Lyft via Twitter and did a whole thread about how this guy had dropped her off. He came back to her house. He like knocked on her door. He was, he started leaving stuff at her house. Like I, I want to meet you. Wow. And, and so she was trying to get him off the, the platform as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And not only that, she was also wanted to have Lyft keep his info and share it with the competitor so that they also wouldn't put him on Uber's platform. Right. And so I answered, I answered uh, in the thread that um, taxis have already had, basically I was saying exactly what Dana just said, which is like, we've already dealt with this problem like 25 years ago. It's called cameras and a hundred percent of every car that it records the audio and the video. Mm -hmm. And, um, also, Flywheel. Flywheel was a really smart because they had this part of their app way before every, and, and still to this day, Uber doesn't have, at least from my knowledge, they don't have a part where when I would call, when me and Dana would call a passenger, it doesn't show me your phone number. So as a driver, I can't contact you ever again. It's routed through the system. Yeah, that's a great measure. That, that That's definitely something that should be standardized for everybody's safety on yeah. Uber and Lyft. It's easy to do. And it's common sense. It's like, yeah, you just can't let some strange guy. He's going to be getting pretty girls. Um, it just happens. And the same, and, you know, and it's a backwards problem for Dana. When they get, she gets drunk guys, I'm sure she could, why don't you talk about that, about how. Yeah, that's actually a great, a great segue because I wanted to ask you question, <laughs> Dana, and I wanted to ask it to you in a non-awkward way because I don't like to ever make assumptions. But like I said, I take a lot of cabs. I don't encounter a lot of female cab drivers. So tell us a little bit about that. Like how rare is it and what are the specific considerations for being a, a woman who's a cab driver? Okay, well. I'm definitely the weirdest looking cab driver in the city. Um, <laughs> most of <laughs> um, the other lady cab drivers are much older than I am. Um, there are a few, actually, there are like maybe four others that I've seen around. And I'm always really stoked to see them. Um, yeah, I get hit on all the time. No fail, twice, twice a shift or more. Um, wow. I'm a day driver. Yeah, I'm a day driver now. When I was a night driver... Um, yeah, I would deal with drunk guys, but they would never, they would never make me feel threatened or unsafe. I've never, ever felt unsafe before actually. But, um, yeah, the tips were definitely fantastic when I was a night driver and it was just sort of fun. (laughs) It's like being a cocktail waitress, sort of like a really pretty one. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but now that I'm a day driver, it's a little bit different because the guys are not drunk, so there's really no excuse to be sleazy, but they yeah. will still be sleazy. Um, yeah. Sometimes they're really sweet, and it's actually romantic, and I've fallen in love in my cab many times. Like, Lovely. some guy will just, oh, my God, it's so romantic. It's <laughs> like, oh, you know, <laughs> like, I've been asked to move overseas. Last weekend, a guy asked me to move to New York, um, but, yeah, it's... It's kind of cool. I mean, I I feel kind of guilty about this, but I, I like being told that I'm pretty or you're the most beautiful cab driver I've ever seen. And <laughs> it does that doesn't bother me. I think it's very nice. Yeah. You of all yeah. the five of all the five female cab drivers in this town, you're the most beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's I mean, kind of special though. We're all different. We're all different um, of races. We're and we're so beautiful in our own ways. But yeah, we could be like a little super heroine squad. You know, the little Eritrean beauty, the American beauty, the the Latina, the Russian. We could make a little team. That's a, that's a reality show that needs to happen. They got to bring back the reality show since apparently it's dead because of prestige television. And the first <laughs> new reality show needs to be. Uh, the, the the old TV the show lady. called HBO's Taxi Diaries. Oh, bro, I love that show so. I know. Much. Me too. <laughs> I mean, I, I I bet you that inspired a whole generation of cab drivers, man. <laughs> you think about prob- it. You know, I, yeah. my subconscious is probably what brought me to it because I would watch yeah. that, yeah, forever. <laughs> well, let me uh, one more question for you, Dana, just about your you, you know unique experience. A lot of male-dominated industries when women come in they encounter resistance from their coworkers. i I don't want to put you on the spot to talk bad about anybody but did you Mm -hmm. 
did you have that experience? Was there anybody, any of your colleagues who were like, oh, you know, women shouldn't be doing this job or anything like that, that, that kind of made you feel uncomfortable or, or any kind of resistance at all? Not at all. No. The only issue that I've had is maybe twice there have been male cab drivers who thought that I was dumb and thought they could cut ahead of me in line or something. Like I'm just some stupid girl, but I'm like, they, they quickly learn that I'm not. Um, yeah. But yeah. most, most cab drivers have just been stoked that I'm a, a lady taxi driver and, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. I, yeah. I think that they pretty much like me, right, Andre? Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think, and I think it's a great. Well, no, I was gonna say that at least because she's one of the five few, um, yeah, people are like you know as as well as other cab drivers are like yeah, it's cool to have some different representation, another perspective on the streets. We don't just want because you see it in Ubers. There's plenty of Uber and Lyft um, women, but for some reason, and funny because it's the safer route would be a taxi driver, but yeah. yet they. They went with their own cars, which I totally understand. So yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, actually, I'd like to speak on that a tiny bit. Yeah, please do. Okay. One thing is okay. So on the um, flywheel blocked number deal. So I have had someone that definitely fell in love with me in the cab ride, and then I was really shocked that he didn't ask me out on a date or anything. But what was cool is the only way he could call me back, and I was expecting it was via flywheel. So I did get a call from flywheel. Oh, Joe Blow, that was just in your cab says he left something in your taxi. And uh -huh. I was like, oh, that's how he's going to do yeah. it. Yeah. He, he, he left his heart. That's what he left in his taxi. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, but um, And two, right. as a female cab driver, um, I'm completely safe. Like, I'm totally protected. I can just literally abandon my cab and run, and nothing will happen to me, and I won't be liable at all. Yeah. If an Uber driver did that, then her car would just be destroyed, or whatever yeah, and yeah. um i can screen every person that comes in like anybody who's dirty or unruly i'm legally allowed to just completely abandon and not accept as a fare but yeah. uber drivers have to take everyone and if they don't i think their rating goes down of course so yeah. they're yeah. blindly accepting strangers into their own vehicles with no cameras that's like completely insane <laughs> um before we get out of here this, there's something that you and i have not discussed Dre. um but uh you you mentioned earlier in the show you drove a cab for 10 years you don't really drive that much anymore i'm curious about your reason for leaving w was there a time in your life that you thought yo i'm gonna get a medallion i'm, I'm in this for life um and and things changed so you decided to leave was it the competition from uber or did you just you know find a better gig and that's that's what made sense for you what what led to your decision to to leave it behind oh that's a good question um yeah because it, it um back in the day so when i started i started in 2008 and everybody would talk to you when you were starting about how you had to kind of make a decision quick get on the list get it on the list or don't get on the list or don't. And to get on the list, what they were talking about was you before the medallion system arrived to San Francisco, you had a choice to sign up like uh, Dana's godfather. And at, after a certain amount of years, you would get a call and they'd say, you were next up on the list. Do you want a medallion? And that was like, that was the retirement system. You would just, because you waited 10 to 15 years in the list, your turn came up and now you could have like kind of a retirement package. Mm -hmm. by having, and, um, but you had to pay $500 to get on that list uh, up front. And so I was always waffling on whether to do that. Cause I was like, I don't know if I'm going to, how long I'm going to be doing this. And lo and behold, I'm glad I passed it up. Cause I was like, mm, I just don't, I'm, I'm kind of cool. Just not being, uh, beholden to that kind of future thinking plus it's yeah. just not my, my dream it wasn't my dream my dream to be a filmmaker always so um long story short um it, it was a combination of just uh, uh like majority of us we have other jobs you kind of it's the smart choice to go and have another side job if you can and i've been moving up through my union job of being a longshoreman and um so i I I don't I'm not I didn't need it anymore. Um, as well as to my last uh, um, I can remember my last night when I said I'm probably not going to be doing this much longer. Is I was attacked by a woman actually 
I was, uh, it's a long story, but um, a woman was, you know, uh, she, she was severely drunk. Yeah, she was, she was trying to talk to, uh, talk, talk her way upstairs with her girl. Uh, there was two lesbians and she wanted to go upstairs with the girl. Uh, the girl was playing hard to get. It wasn't going to happen. And then she comes back and I'm, and I'm really ho- I'm rooting for the girl to score because then she's, she's no longer my problem. <laughs> and, and of course the girl is like, she, she, her, the other girl is like, I just want to go home and you can get in the cab and he'll take you. And I was like, Oh, don't put me this back on me. And, <laughs> And then she starts starts talking about like I can't find my purse, and I'm like, no, now I really don't want to help you because you don't have any money. Yeah. And but it was like the last thing of the night, and and so I like did her a favor, and she's looking all over the cab while she's looking for her wallet, and we get to we get pretty close. We're like near Market Street, and she puts her feet up on the console, just like really like arrogant, and I like this is my house, and I yeah. just. We were at a red light. I turned around. And I was like, "Wow!" I could just see in her eyes. No matter what I say, this girl is not going to take those out. But I, I did the whole um, "get your feet down right now." Where do you think you are? And she was just, she was just like arrogant as hell. And so I, did, I could just see that she had, she put, she pushed all her chips to the middle of the table. So I did a U-turn, and I was casually trying to make my way. Pretty, I was pretty close to the the, the mission stand, the mission police station. And I'm I'm almost there, and she just she's just saying, um, oh, and I had like her boots were up in the front seat for some reason, um, and she she just decided this is the point where I'm gonna draw my line in the sand. She came up into the the front part to like grab her boots, and then she just started attacking me. And I was just like, we're in a we're in a moving car. Like I can't believe this is one happening. And and so it just ended up becoming a huge fight. I'm fighting for my life basically, because yeah. this girl was super aggressive, and um, she ends up getting arrested. And, and of course, back to what we were talking about before, it's caught all on video. And yeah. So, so long story short, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty much done with this as a career. Girl <laughs> 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 just attacked me like violently, and uh, I was I, the cop. Long story short, he cut. He calls me like the next day and he's like, I watched that video. And he's like, I'm really sorry. What happened to you, man? That was a crazy woman, crazy yeah. incident. And, uh, <laughs> so I was like, that's pretty much why I'm no longer an SF taxi driver. Uh, that'll do it. You know, it, it sounds sufficient. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure every taxi driver you talk to could share a similar story. That's just part of the life, you know. Unfortunately, that is part of the life. Uh, I want to thank both of you guys for being here. Uh, Big thanks to both of our guests, Andre Baca uh, and Dana Williams. Andre, you're a pleasure as always. Dana, uh, you're delightful. We want to have you on for other shows. We can talk about whatever you want, you know? (laughs) You're great. That sounds good. You're made for the radio. You you sound like, uh, you know, you're hosting a morning radio show. You got (laughs) the velvety tones of NPR coming out today through through Dana. So thanks to both of you for being here. You guys really helped us to unpack what is a really complicated issue. Very informative for our listeners. Thanks to both of you. Thanks as always to our fearless leader, our producer, Emi Piancai, recording from Richmond, California, keeping us on task. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks for being here tonight. Until next time, quest on everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.